Okay, so we're in the midst of a series that we've uh, titled, It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, the life that we're talking about is, uh, is the life of Christ, Jesus. He's, he is wonderful in so many ways. And uh, I think this is like part four. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> it was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was uh, Shakespeare who uh, made famous that uh, question, uh, what's in a name? And uh, you probably know the rest. Uh, what, a rose by any other name is, would smell as sweet, right? That's what Shakespeare said. Uh, I guess what he was saying was that it really doesn't matter what somebody calls you. Uh, what's in a name? Because it's not going to affect the fragrance of a rose. But I, I really disagree with that. I, I think it's really important. I think names are extremely important. Uh, they uh, tell a lot about a person, about a person's destiny in many cases. And uh, let me give you an example. Uh, when parents, uh, you know, try to decide in coming up with a name for a child, they really, you know, want it to be significant. I mean, it's, they don't just pick a name out of a hat. They, they, they really put a lot of thought into it. And, and uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, Adam and Lisa, uh, are, are they here this morning? Oh, yeah. Hi, guys. Uh, Adam and Lisa have uh, their first child, and uh, they, they named her Sophia London. Could you, could you put that picture of Sophia up on the screen? Isn't it beautiful? Now, now I, I, you can't see this, but I was, look, I was looking at the, the photograph of uh, Sophia London, but uh, in a reflection, I, I guess it was a fireplace. But did you guys know that you, you're in there? Yeah, in, the, in a reflection... Lisa's got this great big smile on her face, as, as big as Sophia's. And uh, Adam is there, you know, and you can see him, you know, proud papa, uh, taking the picture of his, of his little girl. Sophia London is her name. Sophia London. Think about that. They, they, they thought about what to name their, their child. Sophia London. It, it's kind of sweet and edgy all at the same time. Isn't that true? You know, London, come on, you know. Uh, I suppose, I suppose that one of the reasons why they wanted to name their little girl Sophia London is because they liked Sophia, but, but if I'm not mistaken, you guys went to London on your honeymoon, right? So, so, so like, they wanted to bring back a part of that romantic experience of, of their honeymoon. Uh, I mean, they were so impressed with the city of London that, I mean, think about it. You'd have to really be impressed with a city to name your child you know, after that city. And so you guys were really impressed, right? And no doubt in the future, you guys, you know, God, God's going to bless you with more kids. You know, C can I just give you a little bit of advice? Having 10 grandkids and, and having three children of my own, I, I think I'm qualified to give you some advice. Please, in the future, be very careful about what cities you visit in the future. Do not drive through, do not stop at Hope You Like It, Georgia. There's a town called Hope You Like It, Georgia. And the people, the people in Hope You Like It, Georgia, Hope You Like It. That's why they've, they've titled their, their but, but please, like, like what, 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 what could you come up with? Uh, Harvey, Hope You Like It? Yeah, whatever, whatever you add to that is just not going to sound good. Or how, how, about, how about this one? Uh, this is in Texas. Jot them down, Texas. But maybe you have to say it like this. Jot them down, Texas. 
You know, you have to say it like a Texan. So you don't want to visit that place, or you don't want to visit this last one in Florida. It's, real, it's a real town. It's called Kissimmee, Florida. Kissimmee. Kissimmee. So, uh, I mean, what would you, what would you call it? Christy Kissimmee, you know? Uh, so so uh, names are important, all right? Uh, that's my point. Names are important. Uh, names can also uh, be indicative of a person's occupation. Uh, Smith, you know, Smith, blacksmith, silversmith, coppersmith, you know, uh, Smith, uh, Miller. Miller is somebody probably either who milled lumber or who worked at a granary and, and, and milled, milled stuff. Carpenter, well, it doesn't take a genius to figure out what they did for a living, right? You know, so it's indicative sometimes of, of, the, of what a person is. So names are, are important. In, in the Bible especially, names are important because they many times uh, prophesied the future of, of that person. For instance, God changed the name of Abram to Abraham, meaning the father of nations. And, and Abraham literally became the father of a variety of nations. God changed Jacob's name, which meant surplanter, deceiver, uh, into Israel, because as a prince he has prevailed with God. You know, I, I took a look online. There, there are baby books with names in it, you know, suggestions, you know. I saw one book, it said 40,000 names of suggested for, for little babies, you know. And then I saw another book, it said 60,000 unique names for, for babies. I, I tell you, one name you will not find in either one of those baby books, even with the 60,000 in it, is the, is the name Methuselah. I don't get it. Why don't... Why don't parents call, I know, I don't understand why the parents don't call their kids Methuselah. But did you know that Methuselah means, it means that when he is gone, the judgment shall come. Did you know also that Methuselah, the Bible says, died in the year of the flood? But that Methuselah is the longest living person in the Bible, that he lived to be almost a thousand years, 960 years. What a testimony, listen, to the, to the forbearance and the patience and the mercy of God, that God not wanting to bring a flood upon the earth to bring judgment, but rather wanting people to get right with him. God's mercy, what a testimony. But of all the names, listen, of all the names that we can talk about, there's no more, there's no more, more, more precious, there, there's no more important, there's no more spectacular name than, than the name Jesus. And all of the titles and all of the names that we ascribe to him, as we mentioned last week, there are dozens and dozens because not, not one, even, not even a couple of dozen can describe the magnificence and the wonder of, of, of him all. I was thinking of a song that we used to sing a number of years ago. It said, Jesus, 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 there's a something about that name, Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. There is something absolutely wonderful and magnificent about the person of Jesus. And not only is Jesus wonderful in himself, but Jesus does wonders in the lives of people like us who put simple faith and trust in him. So we've been, we've been working through a, a series of celestial names that have been spoken by the ancient prophet Isaiah. 
over in Isaiah, and he's already given us an indication of who this Messiah person would be. A virgin, he said, a sign and a wonder will be given. A virgin will be with child and will, and will have a son and call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Every time, every, every time Jesus, little Jesus, would come along, it would be the reminder that God has invaded our world. God is with us. God, who is, as Andrew said earlier, 100% man, 100% God, fully man, fully God, in the one complex, mysterious person called Christ. And it is a mystery. Paul says, Paul said in 1 Timothy 3, 13, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. God appeared in a physical body. God was manifested in the flesh. God appeared in a physical body. The definition of a mystery, I love this. Mystery is not the absence of meaning that is mysterious. No, but a mystery is the presence of more meaning than we can comprehend. It is the presence of more meaning than we can wrap our minds around and fully grasp. And that is the person, the complex person of Jesus. But this one who is, who is the son given and the child, the child that was, that was born, the son that was given is none other than, than Almighty God. Mystery, the greatest mystery of all, the incarnation. And yet he came among us, born of a virgin, born in a little town, called Bethlehem. Listen, the message of Christmas is about, is about hope for a fallen humanity. It's about the hope of forgiveness, the hope of reconciliation with God, of peace with God. It's the hope of having eternal life. And eternal life, listen, it's not just the duration of time that we're talking about. It's the quality of, of this endless life, of, of pleasure that is beyond our ability to, to articulate or beyond our ability to imagine. It's joy in the presence of God forever and forever beyond our imagination all because the father sent his son to be born of a woman made under the law to redeem them to buy them who are under the law to change the course of all human history and to change the course of human rebellion so that we are no longer at enmity with God but God who has reconciled us to himself has made peace through the blood of the cross. I want you to imagine for a minute, what would it be like for you? What would it be like for you to, 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 to go back to becoming an infant, but retaining all of your experience, if you live 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 60 years, 70 years, retaining all of your experience and all of your knowledge that you've accumulated this far in your life to go back to becoming an infant where you lose, you lose, you know, muscle coordination, you lose control of your bladder, you lose, you know, uh, speech, you know, ability, and, and you lose all that, but you retain your identity of who you are as a person. Could you imagine the complexity of that? Now multiply that by infinity for the creator of the universe to so humble himself, to so make himself vulnerable that he's become an infant just as we were once infants. Or imagine the illustration I used last week of becoming a tropical fish. And tropical fish to us, we, we, we're a lot larger than life. They, they, they can't understand us. That we, we can't communicate with them. The only way that we could possibly communicate with them, because they don't understand that when we chase them around with a net, you know, it's really probably for their good. We really mean them well. We really don't mean them harm, but they don't understand that. So the only way that they could really understand that as if we became a tropical fish, entered into the tank 
ourselves, communicated with them while retaining who we are in our humanity. And yet that, that illustration is faulty because we're still talking about creature to creature, but we're, when we're talking about God himself, who, who is outside of time and who is outside of, of the physical laws of, of, of this universe, he's beyond that, enters into, it, it blows our mind. But, but let's take a look at that verse one more time this morning. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born. And I've been saying this every week, that, that you've got to come to the place where you say in your heart, unto me a child is born, unto me a son is given. That's the gift of God to you. But you must receive it. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And as we've been working our way through each of these names of God, we've looked at Wonderful, Counselor, We've looked at the mighty God last week. And if you've, missed, if you've missed the message, you can catch it on the podcast. You can go to our website, livingwordli, that stands for Long Island, livingwordli.org, and you can actually listen to it right from the, from the website and catch up on where we've been. But I want to talk to you this morning about the everlasting Father, that Jesus is called, his title is given to him by the prophet, by, by the inspiration of the Spirit, the everlasting Father. Now, he's not to be confused. This is not talking about the Trinity. The, the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. For the purpose of identification, God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But, but, but we're talking about the Father in the sense that, well, the Amplified Translation really touches on this well. It calls him the Father of Eternity. It is, it, is, it is that Jesus is the author and the originator of eternity. He is the father of eternity. He is the possessor of eternity. It's another expression of what Jesus is in relationship to eternity. He is the everlasting father, but he is, he is to be understood as the one who possesses all eternity in his power and his ability. We, we, we use this term father uh, sometimes when we talk about people who are creators or, or originators of some movement or, or, some, or some invention. You know, Edison is the father of electricity. Socrates, the father of philosophy. Uh, Sigmund Freud was, is called the philosophy of modern psychology. And, and on and on. Uh, Madison, the father of the Constitution. So you understand that one who was, was inspirational, one who, who was the originator, one who was the creator of, of something. So, so he is the creator, the, the originator, the, the possessor of all eternity. It belongs to him. Colossians chapter 1, the apostle Paul puts it like this about him. He is the image of the invisible God. If, if you want to know what God looks like, you must look to Jesus. Jesus is the physical manifestation of the invisible God. That phrase, that next phrase is, is in quotes. The firstborn of all creation, because that is a title. The cults try to minimize the person of Jesus because of that by reducing him to a member of creation. That is not talking about it being a member of creation. He is the creator, fully God, fully equal, and, and co-glorious with God. What that is, you know what a firstborn is. The firstborn is entitled to a double portion. The firstborn has rights and privileges and has entitlements and responsibilities. And so that's what that's talking about. 
For verse 16 makes it very clear. For by him all things, all things, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether there be thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things are held together. One translation says, in him all things exist. He is the father of eternity, the firstborn in this privilege and entitlement of, of everything that there is, seen and unseen, it belongs to him. And he holds eternity in his very capable, loving, nail-scarred hands. And what that means for you and me is simply this, is that we may not know the future. The, the, the Mayans obviously didn't check with Jesus about the 21st because today's the 23rd, isn't it? Okay, so they didn't check with the one who is the possessor of eternity, you know, about when the end is coming, you know. So, so, so listen, for us, we may not know what the future holds, but if you know Jesus, then you know who holds the future. Almost with the same breath, the prophet says the Child that's born and the son that's given is the everlasting father, is the father of eternity. Almost in the same breath. The one born in the stable. The complexity of his person. I hope, I hope that you never become so accustomed to hearing about the incarnation that you just simply take it for granted, that you don't literally stop and meditate and think about and let, and let, let, let that thought muse around in your mind. The complexity of, of, of who... Jesus is, somebody wrote, don't know who it is. He wrote, more light than we can learn, more wealth than we can treasure, more love than we can earn, more peace than we can measure. All, all, all because the son born and the child that was given is the everlasting father. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. I love what he said. He said, we must not suppose that we shall understand him at a glance. A look will save the soul, but patient meditation alone... When he says a look will save the soul, there is a look of faith that can connect you to God in such a saving way in, in, which, in which you know that you know that you've been saved with the look of faith, okay? So he says this, but patient meditation alone can fill the mind with the knowledge of the Savior. Glorious mysteries are hidden in his person. He speaks to us in plain language and he manifests himself openly in our midst, but yet in his person itself there is a height and a depth which human intellect fails to measure. The greatest minds cannot wrap their, their, their thoughts around the complexity of this person that we call Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Solomon in one of the Proverbs said that it's the glory of God to conceal mystery, to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. May, may we have kingly spirits like the Magi who search diligently until we find the one born King of kings and Lord of lords. So deep is the mystery of the person of Christ Jesus that, listen, that it requires God to make himself known to us. N nothing less. It it's, not by, it's not by cleverness, by philosophy. It's not by intellectual pursuits. It's only God making himself known to the human heart, revealing, opening the eyes of our understanding. We, we who were once lost, like, 
like the song Amazing Grace, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Was blind, but now I see. Something has happened. The light's gone on. An understanding has come. What? He wasn't physically blind, but he was spiritually blind. And by the way, let me say this, that to say someone is spiritually lost is not, is not a put down. It's not an insult. In fact, it is a kindness to, to, to be honest with someone and to say that they, they are spiritually lost. Jesus spoke affectionately about lost sheep, about a lost coin, and one of his most most affectionate stories that he ever told was about a lost son. And, and let me just say this about, about that which is lost. You, you, you don't lose something that, that, is, that is insignificant. You, you, you misplace something that might be insignificant. You misplace a paperclip, but, but you, don't, you don't lose a paperclip. You lose something that is of value to you. Uh, a, a Picasso, uh, a Rembrandt that's, that's, uh, that's, that's lost, doesn't lose its value because the owner can't find it, because the owner, it's lost to the owner. No, it becomes even more valuable, and it becomes even more precious to, to the owner. I want you to think about that. At the fall of man, men had become lost, but that doesn't mean that we've lost our value to God. We, we, we became lost. We, we lost our relationship. We, we, we lost our, our destiny. We lost our happiness. We, we lost eternal life. But the message, the message of Christmas is that, is, that, is that there's something that we cannot lose. We cannot lose our value because God has come seeking to save that which was lost. He went on mission for this one purpose to seek and save the lost. So valuable are you to God that God has paid the ultimate price for your redemption. That, that word means to buy you back. And, and that is that he gave himself for you. The Christmas story reveals the, the incredible, inflexible justice of God, but it also reveals the incredible, infinite love that God had by being willing to pay the ultimate price of himself. There's a, a, a diamond. You know, I, the, the, one of the commercials on TV, you, you hear it all the time, diamonds are forever, right? You, you've heard that? I think it's, it's the uh, De Beers. Is, it, is that how you say them? Maris, is it De Beers, right? They're the ones that advertise because they've got the, the diamond mines in South Africa, you know, and, and they, want, they, want you to be, they want you to believe that diamonds are forever. I was born at night, but I wasn't born last night. You know, diamonds aren't forever. You can, you know, even though they're a hard substance, you know, uh, you can cut a diamond, you, 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 can, you can crush a diamond, and, and more importantly, you can lose a diamond. How many of you ladies, you know, lost the, that engagement ring and went down a drain and you finally got your husband to fish it out? Kelly's always losing her, her diamond ring, right? But back in the 16th century. Back, back in the 1500s, there was a diamond that was found in India. It was, it was huge. It was 137 carats. It was called the Florentine diamond. 137. 137 that could make 137 engaged young girls very happy to have at least one carat on each finger. You know what I'm saying? 137 carats. Huge. It would be worth, it would be worth many multiple 
millions of dollars. But somewhere in the 1800s, when it passed from owner to owner down through the years, a couple of hundred years passed, it, it vanished. The diamond just, just, just disappeared. This, this great big diamond, it just, it was lost. So diamonds aren't really forever. But I'll tell you what is forever. A child of God that has once was lost, but now is found can never be lost, can never, can, can never be crushed, can never be destroyed. Because, listen, we, we, we've not been bought with silver and with gold, but with the precious blood of a lamb who is perfect and without spot. There's nothing more thrilling. There, there's nothing more exciting. I, I can tell you, we, we, were, talking, we were talking the other day uh, about some, some folks who mess up their minds on drugs. And, and Doug had said, Pastor, what... Didn't that happen to you? And, and, and that's true about, you know, almost 40 years ago. I, I, I literally blew my mind on, on drugs. But God healed me. And one of the ways in which God healed me was that this word, this word of God became so precious to me. I, I, I began to have an insatiable appetite when God opened up my heart and began to give me understanding and called me to... to, to to preach this word to others. There's something so electrifying about the word of God. There's nothing as soul satisfying and as, and as transforming as, as the word of God. When God opens up, when God reveals God to you, when Jesus reveals Jesus to you, there is nothing greater, there is nothing better than that. I love, I love the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, right? Th- these guys, after the resurrec- uh, resurrection, right? It was like three days after Jesus had been crucified. They're depressed. They're, 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 they're despondent. They're walking along the road. And Jesus, who has been raised from the dead, joins himself to them, and they're walking together. They don't recognize it's Jesus. And Jesus starts up a conversation with them and says, guys, you know, what's the matter with you? Why are you so you know, downcast? And they say, well, haven't you heard the news? And on and on. And then Jesus says, oh, slow of heart and, and slow to believe all that the prophets have said. And then the Bible says, from Moses and all of the prophets, Jesus began to expound to them the scriptures how that the Christ must first suffer and die before entering into his glory. And when they got to the place, they were walking to a village called Emmaus. When they got to that place, you know, Jesus made as though he would have kept on walking, but they pleaded with him, oh, please stay with us. We just, we, just, we just love what you're saying. And, and when they sat down and Jesus broke bread, their eyes were open and they saw who he was and he vanished from their midst. And I love what they said to each other. They said one to another, which means, in my mind, they said it at the same time. Has that ever happened to you? Where, 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 you, where you just recognize and connect with somebody and you both say the same thing? I think that's what happened. And this is what they said. They said, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened to us the scriptures. There's nothing more soul satisfying, more electrifying, more fire igniting than when Jesus reveals Jesus to us from the scriptures. Notice what they didn't say. They didn't say, they didn't say, didn't our hearts burn within us when we saw him, when we, when we touched him, when, we, when, when, when he vanished from our midst. They said when he opened to us the scriptures, the same dynamic that you and I have right now at this very moment is when the Spirit of God opens to our understanding. 
the treasure that is in Christ Jesus, and he becomes the precious treasure that he is to a human heart. That sets a fire in us. It set a fire in me, and I'm so glad it hasn't gone out. Jesus Christ, the author of eternity, the, the possessor of eternity. It's the passion behind the, the Apostle Paul's life that, that you couldn't keep this guy down. Even after he was stoned and left for dead, dragged outside of the city, he immediately got up and went right back into the city. There was a passion in him. What was that passion? That passion was to know Jesus Christ. I want to know him, Paul said. That's my ambition is to know him. I count everything. I've suffered the loss of everything so that I might gain Christ. The, the surpassing greatness of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you say that this morning? I hope you can. It's the, it's the last word. You know, when I leave this world, I hope it's the last thing I say to people. It's, it's the last word that Peter gave to the church, 2 Peter 3, 18. It says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not just grow in knowledge, because if you just grow in knowledge, you may get puffed up. But if you grow in both grace and in knowledge, the grace that reveals the knowledge to you is a constant reminder that you aren't worthy of the knowledge you have. You're not worthy of the grace, of the kindness, of the mercy, of the love that you've received. And so it keeps you even killed. It keeps you, it keeps you stable. It keeps you humble. It keeps you forgiving people who have wronged you because you've been forgiven so much. That grace is the balance of, of the knowledge of the Son of God that we so desperately need more of. So may we grow in grace. In the 16th century, a missionary went to China for the first time. With him, he brought the gospel, but with the gospel, he brought illustrated art to show the people that had never heard the gospel before about the message of, of Jesus Christ. And he, he showed them pictures of, of the virgin with the baby, and, and they embraced that. There, there was something about that that was non-threatening to them, and, and they received that. But then when he showed them the pictures of this child that grew up, this, this God child that grew up to become crucified, they were appalled at that. They were horrified at that, and they rejected that. Let me tell you something. 500 years later, the world has not changed. The world embraces the Jesus of the Christmas and the, and the infant of Bethlehem. But the scandal of the cross, the scandal of, of, of going from Bethlehem to Calvary is something that people, unless God opens the eyes of your understanding, Satan tries to blind the minds of those that believe not, but God commands the light to shine into our hearts to give us the knowledge of the Son of God. You know, this morning, you know, I, I think about the kids. They get so excited this time of the year. They get excited for the presents and all that stuff. And, and even adults, you know, we, we get excited about, you know, what, what might be. But can I tell you, many times what we need is not, is not consistent with what we want. We have, we have desires that may not be exactly what we need. Uh, my mother-in-law passed away several years ago. She used to give... Uh, socks out. That, that was her thing. She bought socks for everybody. You know, uh, sweat socks, dress socks, any kind of socks. She bought socks. And when the kids were small, they, they didn't want to know about socks. They said, show me the money, you know. 
and, uh, and grandma used to, used to do both. And my wife's continued the, the, the tradition now that she's passed away. And she buys socks. And, 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 and the adults now, they, they've grown up and, and they, they, they say, well, thanks. I needed the socks, you know. And they appreciate that. But, but I've, I've seen the faces of my grandkids, of Luke and, and uh, of Liam, you know, when they, when they tear through packages, you know, on, on Christmas morning and they find clothes, they just turn around with disappointment on their face. And, you know, they're looking for the, you know, the good stuff, you know. So, so what you desire and what you want may not be the same. Can I tell you, a Messiah probably wasn't on our wish list, but he invaded our, our lives. And, he, and he's come and he's made himself known to us. It's, it's not we who have chosen him, but he who's chosen us. And he's revealed himself to us. And that is all of grace and it's all of his mercy. You see, the thing that we needed most on that first Christmas was a Savior, that, that God would provide someone who would absorb the wrath of God because God's justice is inflexible, but his love is also infinite. And so Jesus is the greatest gift of all. When I lived in, in Brooklyn, the first 12 years of my life, back in the 50s, listen, if you, if you were not alive in Brooklyn in the 50s, you don't know what you are missing. I often, often felt sorry for my kids, you know, because they, they grew up in Queens. You know, Queens, I mean, come on. Brooklyn is where you had to grow up in the 50s. You, you older folks know what I'm talking about, you know. Uh, it was great. I mean, we, I, 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 lived, I lived on this one block, but, you know, there's like across the street. I mean, as many houses. I mean, hundreds of, dozens and dozens of kids. I'm not exaggerating. Kids of all different ages, you know, and, and, and you, you have so much to play with. When you live on Long Island, you hope that maybe you live next door to another kid, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but, but in Brooklyn... Man, we had, we had lots of kids and, and the stuff that, listen, we didn't have computers, we didn't have video games, but man, we had loads of fun. In the summertime, from the early morning to late at night, we were out on the streets and in the sidewalks and we were playing. You talk about ball. We had slap ball, fist ball, we had, we had stick ball, we had softball. I mean, any kind of ball, pimple, how many remember pimple balls? I mean, we had, we had so much fun. Uh, talk about games. We had, we had Johnny on the Pony, Ring Olivia. We, we had different seasons. We called them scooter season, top season, yo-yo season. I mean, forget about it. We had so much fun. And, and you know what would happen? At night when, 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 when darkness would fall, you know, uh, everybody's fathers would come out, you know. And, and some fathers, they whistled, you know. Some fathers, they yelled. My father just stood outside and, and, and he, he could whisper my name. You know, you, you, heard, you heard the names, Anthony, you know, and Vito, come on. You know, you know what kind of a neighborhood I lived in, right, Italian, right? So, so but my father just, just, just stood outside. And, and, and there, were, there were times when, there were times when you can beg and plead, can I just stay out for another, another half an hour? And, and if you were lucky, if you got 10 more minutes, you know? But when darkness fell, your father called you home and you came home. The other kids didn't come. You, you responded to your father's call. You know what Christmas is? Christmas is, Christmas is this time of grace where, where, where father, the father of eternity is calling, calling children to come home. Come home. 
But let me tell you, only those who receive Jesus Christ, for to them, the Bible says that he gives them to those that believe. 1 John 1.12 says that he, those that receive him, he gives them the right to become the children of God to those that believe in his name, to those that trust and believe in him. He gives them the right to become the children of God. Those are the only ones that will eventually, listen, don't wait till darkness falls. Don't wait till darkness falls to respond to the voice of the one, the eternal father, the everlasting father who is calling men and women, boys and girls, to come home. What I want to leave you with this Christmas is eternal life. Because whoever has the Son has everlasting life. I'd like to play a short video for you at this time. It would have been enough if he just came to earth, joined to our humanity. That would have been enough to demonstrate that he loved us so much, to be joined to our humanity for the rest of eternity. But he did more than just become one of us. He died for us. He died as us. And he died for you. Until you can say, unto me a child is born. Unto me a son has been given. Then you're still in darkness. But if you could say that, you've come into the light just as he is in the light. And then you'll have fellowship with the Son of God whose blood will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that as you've spoken to us in the message, in the music, in the video, I pray, Lord, now that your word would be spoken into the hearts of any person that's here, oh God, that doesn't yet know you, that what I said this morning is so true, that that we need Jesus to reveal Jesus to the human heart, and that's all of grace. Would you do that right now? And in response, I pray that those of you who need to do that would just say yes to Jesus. Receive him to as many as received him to them. He gave them the right to become the children of God. That's the transaction. That is the exchange that takes place. It's a look of faith, as Spurgeon said. It's a transaction that takes place in the heart. Not with cliches or with formulas, but with the heart. When the heart is open, May God open each and every heart this morning. And those of us who have had our hearts open, may we never, never lose the wonder. This is the value that he's placed on us. What makes his life so precious, what makes his blood so precious, and what makes us precious to him is his willingness to exchange that life for ours. We thank you this morning, Lord. Amen.